The easiest person to deceive is a person that looks in the mirror. The easiest person to deceive is a person in the mirror. I know that's true for me, and I know that's true for you. Well, that's not very exciting, Chris. That's not very positive. But isn't it true that we are the people that are responsible for the decisions that we made, like we talked about? And the quality of our life has to do with the decisions that we've made and we realize that some of the decisions we, we have made have been mistakes, they've been regrets, they've been sin, and we've suffered the consequence. But it's easy to deceive ourselves. And if you're joining us online today, I had somebody tell me this week that they liked it when I said, hey, I'm just picturing you in, in your pajamas, sitting in, at the coffee table, and maybe you got some hot chocolate or coffee, or if you're like me right now on the Daniel Fast, green Lipton tea, not very exciting, decaffeinated herbal tea. But I can just picture you sitting there at your television or computer or on your phone or on your laptop and sharing with us today. And I just want you to know that the easiest person to deceive is the person in the mirror. Haven't we sold ourselves? Haven't we done all of those things to ourselves that we regret? And that's a challenge, isn't it? What we don't realize is that there's a sales associate in, in our heads. And that sales associate lives in our heads and it convinces you to do what you do. It sells you on things. You know how you get hot on some thing or one thing or this or that or this relationship and it becomes fixated in your mind and you're totally convinced that that's the, the best idea in the world. And sometimes your loved one or your spouse or there's someone there that doesn't agree with that sales associate. And that's the challenge is who are we going to believe and what are we going to buy and what are we going to do? The big idea of this series is the often overlooked relationship between good decisions or good questions and good decisions. Remember, we talked about that last week, that questions precede decisions or should precede decisions. And throughout this series, I'm going to give you a set of questions that will help you make wiser decisions. And if you make wiser decisions, you're going to have a better life. We're going to have a better life. And I think that that's what we all desire. And, and the question we're going to talk about today is a very important question. And, and when we talk about these decisions, we've got to realize that we aren't the only ones that are impacted by our decisions. We're not the only people that are impacted by our decisions, are we? We talked about that last week. We, we said that not only are we impacted, but our spouses, our loved ones, our 
boyfriends and girlfriends, those people, future generations, legacy issues will come into play because we're not the only ones that are going to be impacted by those decisions that we make. And so our decisions hopefully will be wiser because we're going to be asking the correct questions. Now I had somebody this morning come up to me and was really excited because she did her homework. And she's probably only one of 10 or 15% of you that actually did your homework from last week. Now if you're online or you weren't here last week, I'm going to give you a pass. You don't have to know what the homework was. But remember, I asked you to memorize Proverbs chapter 27, verse 12. Please don't put it on the screen yet. How many of you guys did your homework and can say with me that the prudent, when they see danger, when the prudent person sees danger, they hide themselves, but the simple keeps on going and they suffer for it? How many of you guys memorize that? Be honest. Be honest with yourself because this is all about honesty today. Very good, well done, good and faithful servants. Balcony, I saw a lot of hands up there. Well done. If you will turn to that, if you will bring that verse up for me. It's Proverbs 27, 12. I've got it wrong. I'm the one responsible for misaddressing this verse today. Don't blame anybody else. It's all on Chris. Say this with me. This is a key verse for the whole series. The prudent sees danger and hide himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. Yes, the prudent see danger. Remember what we said, the prudent, who the prudent were? They were the crafty. They were the sensible. They were the shrewd people. And they saw danger when it was coming, and they hid themselves. They took refuge. But what did the simple do? The naive do. They just keep on going. And we've all looked at people and we've seen them heading for destruction. And you you look at each other and you say, what are they doing? Don't they know? Isn't, Isn't someone going to warn them? But your relationship isn't that strong or you just don't feel like risking your relationship by going to them saying, have you really thought about this? Here are some consequences that I see that are going to happen. Or maybe you don't notice people like that. But I do. I see people all the time that I love and I care about. And sometimes I risk it and sometimes I say, "Mm, maybe they need to learn from their consequences. And it seems like they never learn. You know, people like that, just really super frustrating to love people and see them make devastating, destructive decisions over and over again. And that's hard, hard, hard to see. And if we love people, then we engage. But but at the same time, we said that sometimes when we ask these questions, people feel questioned and they're insecure in their response because inside of them, they know that they're going the wrong direction, but they want to go there anyway. And this is what the Bible Describes as simple. In fact, if you look at the Hebrew word for this, it will equal fool. F O O L. Fool will continue to make these mistakes. So, today, what the question we're going to talk about today is called the honesty question. It could also be said to be an integrity question, but I'm calling it an honesty question because it will lead you easier, it will lead you 
to the question easier and help you remember the question. But as we're preparing to ask that question this morning, I want you to know that you cannot lead yourself well as long as you are deceiving yourself. You can't lead yourself well as long as you're deceiving yourself. That kind of connects to the easiest person to deceive is the person in the mirror. Right? We're going back to that thought. And I don't know about you, but I've had some friends. Well, actually, I had one friend in college that was a pathological liar. And he was so good that I believed everything he said until my friends started laughing at me and said, you don't believe that, do you? Oh, yeah, I do. Oh, Chris. That's, oh, Chris. And so I thought, I believed him, but I was going to verify it. So I called home because he was from my area. See, he was from the Walmart Valley. Called home and said, hey, you know this guy? Yep. Did he do this? Nope. Did he do this? Nope. Did he do this? Nope. Chris, he's lying to you. So then I had to go back to my friends and say, what? You're right. And so then I knew every time he was moving his lips, he was lying. I was devastated. He ended up, he was, we were at Bible college together. He ended up leaving because his, his deceit, his dishonesty caught up with him with the administration. And that's what happens. That will catch up with you. The consequences of lying will catch up with you. And so what do we typically do in a professional or or a career setting? What do you do? You fire the liar, don't you? You fire the liar. Isn't that radical? Now, here's here's where I'm going to get personal today. And I'm getting very personal today. I want you to fire the liar in you. Oh, I can't believe he said that. He did. I, I, I got I got to tell you that part of this job is that I, I'm, I'm not going to make you like me all the time. <laughs> That's the reality. I'm not in it to, to win it by, by making you like, like me. It's, it's, it's just this is the truth. You can't lead yourself well as long as you deceive yourself. So you've got to fire the liar. And we've got to recognize that dishonesty erodes credibility. Dishonesty erodes credibility. And so when we know that people are lying, then they're dishonest and we can't trust them. But when we lie to ourselves, when we lie to ourselves, can we really trust us? And I think down deep, we really, really know when we're lying to ourselves. And that brings a credibility and a security problem inside of ourselves and a self-esteem problem inside of ourselves. Because what we do is we create a narrative that justifies our lie or our half-truths, and then we choose to believe it. We create this narrative. We create this story that, that is, is a fabricated story, and then we believe the story. And that's dangerous, because ultimately, 
that story will be revealed and we'll have to look at ourselves in the mirror. Have you ever been to an AA meeting? I'm not supposed to ask that. I have been to an AA meeting before. I've not been to an NA meeting or a CA meeting, which is Narcotics Anonymous or a uh, Cocaine Anonymous meeting, but I've been to an AA meeting with a friend of mine who was going through some addiction problems, and I, I really liked it. Now, now Chris, you're, you're, say, you're saying, Chris, you liked an AA meeting? Yes, because they were ruthlessly honest. They, they were rigorously honest with themselves. And that was what was stopping them from being continuing to be addicted or continuing in their addicted behavior. And, and it was fascinating, and I just felt like I'd been to a revival because rigorous honesty is the first rule of recovery. And if we're going to recover from ourselves, then we have to have that rigorous honesty to, to know who and what we are and what we need to do. And you say, well, if I were to do that, then I would feel bad about myself. And, and the challenge of feeling bad about yourself is that only you suffer if you feel bad about yourself. There are worse things than feeling bad about ourselves. And that is to be dishonest with ourselves. Because you will never get where you need to be until you acknowledge where you are exactly. Where are you? Are you honest with yourself? Are you able to live with yourself? And is there congruity or is there a balance between who you are and what you say you are? You will never get where you need to be until you acknowledge where you actually are. Now, we have an adjective for people that, that, that aren't responsible, who don't acknowledge who they are. And, and the adjective for the people who refuse to take responsibility for the outcomes for their decisions, we call them irresponsible. And the question then becomes, do we want to be irresponsible? Do we really want to be looked on and be recognized as irresponsible? Here's the question. Here's the honesty question that I'm, I'm building up to today. And it's simply this. Am I being honest with myself? Am I being honest with myself? You say, well, that's a tough question. I know what I say and I know what I do. And when somebody asks me, I know what I say I do. But is that really what I do? And then I make justifications. I justify what I say I am doing. You ever been there? Here's what I'm doing. I'm on a diet right now. I'm on a, a fast. I've cheated. I've got a mint in my mouth right now because it works well while I preach. It keeps me from getting dry. I've cheated. I had a little meat in my chili because I didn't want to cook the chili myself. I've cheated. I gotta realize that. I gotta, I gotta accept that. Right? 
But where have we been dishonest with ourselves? Because justifying is really just a lying, isn't it? When we have to work really, really hard to justify a decision that we've made. You ever have a buyer's guilt or regret? You ever do that? Well, I did this because. I bought this because. And then you go on and you rationalize it because you really, really had sold yourself on it. And really, it wasn't true. You just, if you were honest, you'd just say, I just bought it. I wanted it. It wasn't a good decision. I'll regret it. And I bought it. But instead, we justify and lie. And, and we can add a one word to the question, the honesty question, to ask ourselves again. And that word is really. Am I being honest with myself really? See, our greatest regrets are associated with the things and the opportunities and the people that we've sold ourselves on. We're responsible, aren't we? It's nobody else. But are we taking responsibility? And when that salesperson goes off in your head, in my head, when, when, when we start selling ourselves on anything, we should hit pause. We should hit the pause button. Stop. Because if we're selling ourselves really, 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 really hard, then there's a problem, isn't there? Because if it was an easy decision, if it was a clear decision, if it was a right decision, we wouldn't have to convince ourselves. We wouldn't have to sell ourselves. But instead, we end up selling ourselves. And that's where we end up regretting. And that's when we need to press pause. It could be a lot simpler. I wish it were a lot simpler. But choosing what's best isn't what's natural. Choosing what's best isn't what's natural, is it? If it were, I could just say, hey, you know, this is the right thing to do. Let's all go out and do it. You would have no need for a preacher. We'd have no need for church because we just do the right thing every time. But every one of us know what? That we don't naturally do the right thing. We need to make that choice, live by that choice, have other people support us in that choice of doing the right thing. We need, we, we need people, we have to resist people that want to, to make us choose the wrong thing or encourage us to do the wrong thing because, oh, it's easy, it's simpler, it's, it, it doesn't cost much. It's not a big deal. Because choosing what is right is not natural. Now I want to look at a 17th century philosopher today that's going to tell you something that that is not new it's a, a few hundred years old and then we're going to look at a coach from 600 bc 2500 years ago that's going to say the same thing francis bacon says this he says the human understanding when it is once adopted an opinion draws all things else to support and agree with it the human understanding when it has once adopted, an opinion draws all things else to support and agree with it. 
So, here's the deal. You know you're right, right? I, I can get an amen for that. You know you're right, right? Boy, that's weak. You know you're right. Amen. Oh, that's too weak. Just give me a right. You know you're right. right. Oh, that's better. Just let me you know, hang with me. You know that your opinions are right. Everybody else is wrong. And when you hear facts, you interpret them to support your opinion. We all do it. That's why we've gotten along so well for the last two years. There's nothing to have an opinion about. But you know you're right, right? If everybody just would get on the same page as you are, you'd be right. And they'd be right. Everybody would be happy. Doesn't work that way, does it? It does not work that, that way. Francis Bacon recognizes, isn't it amazing, a very insightful recognition that the human understanding, when it is once adopted, an opinion draws everything else to support and agree with it. But he didn't end with that. He goes on and he says this, and, and, and he continues with this. He says, though there be a greater number and a weight of instances to be found on the other side of it. What that's saying is the facts don't agree with our opinion. So what do we choose? We choose to ignore them. And we just continue happily, merrily ever after. That's the challenge. Can we get beyond ourselves, stop deceiving ourselves in areas of our opinion? Stop selling ourselves. Now I want to look at a person that lived almost 2,500 years before Francis Bacon. And his name was Jeremiah. And he was kind of a coach, if you will, for King Jehoiakim. Jeremiah lived 600 B.C., and he began his coaching career, his prophetic career. Let me say that differently for your Bible scholars. Prophet career at 600 B.C., and he was guiding King Jehoiakim. And I want you to understand something about King Jehoiakim. He was a teenager when he became king, so so, so that could be some of his excuse. But you got to understand that he was a ruthless tyrant, he was immoral. He, he didn't prescribe to the morality of Judaism. He was an awful king. And you've got to understand something else, that, that, that Israel, the kingdom of Israel, was the top half, the northern part of Israel, and they were already in bondage for their sinfulness. But Judah still was a kingdom under God, supposedly. But Jehoiakim was the end of that. And you've also got to understand that Jehoiakim didn't like paying tribute to King Nebuchadnezzar. And so he decided after a few years, hey, I'm not going to pay you anymore. I'm going to become a vassal of Egypt because it was cheaper. And Nebuchadnezzar had just been beaten by the Egyptian army. The Babylonians had been beaten by the Egyptian army. And therefore, the Babylonians didn't like the Egyptians very well. So Jeremiah says, hey... Jehoiakim, not a good idea. 
you are sinful, you're far away from God, God is going to punish you by the Babylonians, you're going to be sold out to bondage, it's going to be a bad, bad deal for you, you need to repent, you need to start paying tribute. What's your Jehoiakim do? Jehoiakim does what kings do. He ignored his advisor. He ignored the prophet. And so what occurs? Well, Nebuchadnezzar lays siege to Jerusalem and to Judah, and he takes over. Jehoiakim becomes part of Nebuchadnezzar's king collection because King Nebuchadnezzar collected kings. Now, I, I want to tell you what that meant, was what he would do would, would be that he would poke their eyes out, he would take them captive, he would take a gold chain, and when he would have a banquet or sometime when he wanted to display his king collection, he would lead them out on a golden chain with one king's hand on the shoulder of the next king in line to represent how powerful and how much force King Nebuchadnezzar had. Now, I've never had a king collection. I had matchbox cars when I was a kid. Some of you might have motorcycle collections or car collections or big car collections or, or, or something, tool collection. But a king collection? This story is not over, though, because then Nebuchadnezzar removes Jehoiakim, puts him part of the king collection, and then he, he says, hey, Jehoiakim, this is Jehoiakim's son. It's a mouthful, isn't it? He was also a teenager and said, hey, you're going to be the next king. And he was king for about three or four months. And then Nebuchadnezzar changed his mind and said, you're not going to be a king anymore. And so he put him in his king collection. Then he got Jehoiakim's uncle, Zedekiah. And you would have thought Zedekiah would have learned. King Zedekiah, you didn't know it, but King Zedekiah was going to be the last king of Judah. And so what does King Zedekiah do when Jeremiah says, Hey, this is not a good idea. You're going down the same footpath as what Jehoiakim and what Jehoiakim did. Not a good idea. There's going to be consequences. We're going to suffer. You're going to suffer. You're going to die. Your family's going to die. Actually, he didn't say die. You're going to be captive. And so lo and behold, what happens again? Nebuchadnezzar lays siege on Judah because he decides he's not going to pay tribute to Nebuchadnezzar either and... Then Zedekiah calls Jeremiah, who he had put in a dry cistern as punishment because Jeremiah had went off all through Judah and said, Hey, King Zedekiah is is selling us out. We're going to be in so much trouble. You're going to be besieged. You need to run now. Zedekiah heard about it and put him in this dry cistern. And so then Zedekiah gets excited because King Nebuchadnezzar lays siege. And he says, Zedekiah, we need, we need God's help. We need to be delivered. And Jeremiah looks Zedekiah straight in the eyes and he says this. He says, Zedekiah, it's too late. It is too late. God is not going to rescue you. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to become a part of King Nebuchadnezzar's king collection and your family's going to be wiped out. And so what happens? Exactly that. 
Zedekiah was the last king of Judah. How sad was that, that the nation of Israel, Israel and Judah, were both in captivity because they were far from the heart of God. Now, when I say all this, we've got to recognize that Jeremiah, in chapter 17, verse 9, said this, during all of this, he said these words. He said, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Sounds like the person in the mirror. That's a person that's most easily deceived. And then in the NIV it says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? That's our heart. And we've got to recognize that there's a difference between being dishonest and and being deceitful, isn't there? Dishonesty is just flat-out lying. It's knowing honesty and truth, or uh, dishonesty or, or lying in truth. But deceitful is a different thing. Deceitful includes a mix of truth and half-truths and untruths. You've known dishonest people, but, but you've also known deceitful people. And it's harder to tell when people are deceitful. And this is what Jeremiah is saying about our hearts, is that they're deceitful and they're this is this is a condition that's that's in us. Francis Bacon and Jeremiah both agree that once we're convinced we need something, it's easy to sell ourselves because our hearts are deceitful. Jeremiah says that our hearts are beyond cure. So, so what this tells me is that this is a permanent condition, that our hearts are beyond cure, that this is something that we're going to struggle with the rest of our lives. And you say, well, Jesus came into my heart and changed my heart. He did. But guess what? There's a struggle, there's a tension going on inside our hearts. And, and who we listen to, who we believe or who we allow to deceive us, wins. So this is very, very important. And this is important as well. The more you believe that your heart is deceitful, the more suspicious and cautious you'll be when that salesperson inside of you starts selling you. That's kind of frustrating, isn't it? Have you ever had a, a good salesman sell you something that you never, you didn't want? Or maybe your boyfriend, girlfriend, friend, spouse wanted and you didn't want? I had a salesman in my house one time. He wasn't a vacuum salesman, but he was about that good. And, and my wife wanted what he was selling. And I came home, I came home, and they were in the house already. They had two salesmen on one person, and he could tell that I wasn't interested. And he started off by saying, if you loved your wife, you would buy this. 
Yep, it's true. If you loved your wife, you would buy this. And it went downhill from there. And, 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 you know, 100 simple, easy payments. You can subscribe to this. You can, you can, you can cancel this at any time. That was a bald-faced lie. Five years later, we were canceling it. We'd moved from that house. Guess what? Oh, by the way, we had some salesmen that were lying about that. You are still responsible for this. Folks, would we buy what a salesperson was selling? Do we use that same reasoning inside of our minds? Is what you're saying in your head, would you buy that from a salesperson, from a retail salesperson? I don't think we would. Now, today, I want you, I want to encourage you to, to have a heart to heart with yourself. Just have a heart to heart talk. Asking yourself, am I being honest with myself, really? And I want you to have this conviction that I will not lie to myself. Say that with me. I will not lie to myself. Can you make that a commitment that I won't lie to myself? I'm not asking you to change. I'm not asking you to do anything differently. I'm just asking you to be honest with yourself and to ask, am I being honest with myself really? And saying to myself, I will not lie to myself even I will not lie to myself even when the truth makes me feel bad about myself. Folks, that just hurts a little bit, but yet you're still being honest with yourself. No one is losing, but just think about what is at stake with with your spouse, with others around you, with your work associates, with your neighbors, with your future generations. Think about what a difference that will make. So I want to wrap up today with three questions really, really quick. First question, if the sales associate in a retail establishment said to you the kinds of things you say to yourself when selling yourself, how would you respond? Would you respond the same way? Question number two, where do you struggle most telling yourself the truth? Where do you struggle the most? And question number three is this. Jesus says knowing the truth will set us free, but acknowledging what's true can be terrifying. Is this why we deceive ourselves? Is because the truth is so terrifying that we deceive ourselves? This morning, I believe that if we ask these questions honestly, and we answer them honestly, and then we do what we answer, then we will be different. We will make wiser decisions and have a better life. Would you please stand as I pray? Eternal God and Father, we're grateful for this day and we're thankful for this time. And Father, we just pray that you would be real and near to us as we make decisions. And Father, as we struggle with being honest with ourselves. Because we don't like to look at the person in the mirror because it's so easy to deceive ourselves. And Father, we understand that, that our heart is deceitful. 
And Father, we just pray that the Holy Spirit and our friends and those around us will encourage us and help us. And Father, that they're there to come alongside. And even though we feel questioned, they might question us. Father, as we look at those that are heading toward destruction, we pray that we might be a help and not a hindrance. That we might risk a relationship if, if need be that would make a difference in our lives. And Father, for those that are just desiring to make a commitment to Jesus Christ today, we just pray that they would do that, that that would be the greatest decision they could ever make. And we pray this all in Jesus' name.